Hello and welcome to Permission to Be. Let's hit him with the remix. Oh, well, y'all got to change yes. that. Yes. <laughs> what are we doing? Uh, we, we leave our f bombs in and. Let's tell some stories. As long as white people are bound, the people in power are bound. They're gonna keep us bound to the same thing that they're bound to. Out of, out of, the, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That I think out of the overflow of the spirit, the body does. Why, why is that the best that God could offer you? Mike made it very clear that he did not want to get any of these questions beforehand. So he is getting this question live, raw, for the very first time. This is, um, yeah. and I feel like art is the expression of the heart where uh, words fail. Oh my goodness, I have tears. Oh, y'all are killing it. Unfiltered. I feel like that's gotta sound strange. Permission to be. Uh, actually, my 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 literary agent, when we were talking about what book might I write, he was like, I mean, A Black Man with Hope is an interesting book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> hey, friends, welcome to Permission to Be. Tonight, we are elated to have Ray McKay join us. Elated. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Ray is... So many things. I personally learned about Ray and who you are when you ran for office. What was that? It, last one? It was this cycle. It's primary. It was this cycle. Okay. And okay. the last cycle, too. So I'm life. sorry about that, but 2020 seems like 10 years long. I, I, whenever I hear you speak and whenever I hear, like, we'll get into this later, y'all, but like, we know Ray. Ray's a friend, Ray's local people's. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm just like, how? How in the hell twice <laughs> did the people of Mecklenburg County go, we don't want this brilliant fighter for P- Oh, wait, anyway, on my Because you all know that he had our votes on every time. Tangent. Every time. Anyway. Ray also is a pastor, a community leader, an influencer, an educator, and I'm going to stop there because we could go on with his accolades and we're just going to dive into conversation. You missed the, mo- the two most important ones. <gasps> He's okay. a husband and a father. A father. Yes. <laughs> Tommy, Tommy got it. Yeah, I know where this is going. <laughs> the damn head of Rose. <laughs> Freaking breeders. <laughs> 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 oh, stop yourself. Heteropatriarchal <laughs> norms of husbands and wives and ah. <laughs> All right. If that's there's any indication of how this conversation is gonna go, people, well buckle and, and up. I'm, and, and I'm holding a glass of red and Tommy is holding a glass of red, so this And I've already had my margaritas, so let's <laughs> Just one margarita gets Becca real giggly off. <laughs> Was it one yeah. or two? Wait. Well, so it's Trader Joe's has margarita wine, and so it's two of those. So eleven percent. Okay. Okay. Are yeah. we? Are we? Are we advertising oh, for a uh, basic white girl season? <laughs> oh, you went there. You went there. Oh, you went there. Uh, I mean, I mean. So the reason I wasn't having whiskey is because I was trying not to be tipsy, which. 
I you need failed. to drink water to get me there now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this conversation is brought to you by wine and <laughs> and Trader Joe's. Yeah. No, and... not Trader Joe's. They are not our sponsor. We cannot say. That. <laughs> but Anywho. I just sponsor us. <laughs> yeah, come on, Trader Joe's. We like you. You're a good we company model. Your sponsorship. Anyway, Ray, <laughs> we are. Four, five days, five days from four days oh, from the end of the election. We have two more early vote days and then election day. So we're ticking down, man. We're almost there. So that that just gives everybody a framework for how we're coming to this conversation today. So if you listen to it after election, just remember this feeling you had before. With what feeling of like impending doom? Um, yeah. Yeah. Like if yeah. I don't do everything, my democracy will not be here. Yes. yes. I don't want to feel this. I, I want to listen to it after the lecture and we, we will know that we have saved democracy from its slip into fascism. Yes. Oh, please. That's, That's really interesting. Okay. One, I, w- I do want to talk about you and, and your family and your life, but also. I would be interested on your perspective and your explanation. Some people might feel that when we talk about a slip into fascism and all this other language, they might feel like it's hyperbole, exaggeration. And and probably those people probably aren't listening to permission to be, quite frankly. (laughs) But I love your mind. I love your brain. I love how you word and phrase things. You have uh, you have a very pastorly way of wording and phrasing things. Could you sort of break down why you say those things and why you put the seriousness of the language that you intentionally choose when you describe the times that we're living in? Yeah, man. I really am intentional about using terms like fascism because like when I talk about a slipping into this it's i mean it's it's kind of like the you know the analogy that's overused about the 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 frog in the boiling pot like it happens gradually over time and so we've seen that so and and let me preface with this i don't believe that uh these slips toward fascism are only because of donald trump right i think that we're we've been getting here since frankly i mean since 9-11 but i think especially it was escalated when we elected our first black president uh, in Donald Trump and you had Mitch McConnell talking about making him a one-term president. And so that started to erode so many of the the norms of our democracy. And it, and it showed just how fragile it really is because it depends so much on like these gentlemen's air quote, gentlemen's agree uh, agreements and, and adherence to norms that, when you get somebody who is like Mitch McConnell, who really couldn't care less about that, all he cared about was restoring power and kind of uh, sticking it to uh, the president, oh, at the time, President Obama, um, you, you'll get these these slips. And then so you look and so you fast forward to today where, I mean, the president is he could almost I mean, I believe he could actually come out and talk about never giving up the presidency. And there will be folks who are like, yeah, that's what we need. That's what we because because they have made our country synonymous with him, with him as the person. Mm -hmm. Right. Like and normally Mm -hmm. you would have 
Democrats and Republicans saying, no, man, this is not working. But the Republican Party morphed into this party of Trump. I don't know what under. Well, was that pa- party, pa- party, of Trump. party of Trump? <laughs> but also Mitch McConnell. Like, we cannot, yeah. Donald Trump is in my and this might be unpopular. I believe Donald Trump is a symptom of what the Republican Party was had already become under Mitch McConnell. Donald Trump would never have been able to do what he has done but for the groundwork being laid by the Mitch McConnells of the Republican Party. The one who, you know oh, what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. That's, it was just ripping off the yeah. Band-Aid. You know, like it just, it was there. It was there. Just like racism has always been there. It has never gone yeah. away. It was just ripping off the Band-Aid and, just they're not afraid anymore to show yeah themselves. i mean and when you think about what is fascism like it's i mean it's it's all it's all and it, it always surrounds a a figure a person right it, it's it's it has to, donald trump had they needed that figure mitch mcconnell wasn't that figure like make no mistakes it's he and folks like him who have laid the foundation for this who and, and donald trump is it's almost a manchurian like candidate to use i mean i'm crossing metaphors but he oh, yeah. is i mean to not just putin i believe to the mitch mcconnell's of the world right you mm-hmm. label the start with sort of mitch mcconnell and i would even probably label it back the southern strategy the gop or grando party republican party intentionally said that we're going to root into this racist uh, racist rhetoric this divisive rhetoric um, to gain votes. And then, you know, we got Citizens United. Mitch McConnell definitely has his hand within that. And he recognized that, you know, we can throw all this money towards elections. And if we can get to spend unlimited money from corporations, then we can influence elections and suppress it because we've built, you know, in a system of capitalism where there is money, there is power. Studying the history of how the parties have formed and the platforms that they've adopted and leading up to today, I just think it's incredibly fascinating. And this is like, come on, people, politics affect your life so heavily, so directly. (laughs) So it's like, I don't understand when people are like, I'm not political. What do you mean? What do you mean you're not political? Because that's what the church has taught, that we're not political. And they've tried to... I think there's this facade of nothing's political. You know, this is what we believe in our religious systems. And this is what is over here in political. And it's two separate things. And I believe that specifically the white church has been a key player in separating it. So followers following blindly and thinking they're not political. And instead, they're right in the center of it. Yeah, I recall this time where... Early on when I was uh, pastoring at the church where I was, somebody messaged our Facebook page and they said, your pastor needs to stop being so political and worry about the gospel. And, you know, the thing I'll say to people all the time is that I'm never partisan in my role as a pastor when I'm pastoring, when I'm preaching, when I'm whatever. I'm not partisan. I'm not the Democratic pastor. Right. But I said, I will. I will always be political, always. It is part of the work. I mean, what, I will never be partisan where I'm saying Democrats are bad, Republicans are good from the pulpit, but I will always be political because politics is that 
intersection of policies and uh, and systems uh, that impact people. If, if pastors and the church and and people of faith aren't involved there, I mean, what's the point? Let's just hang it up, right? Like if we're not, right? if yeah. faith doesn't yeah. speak into uh, policies and systems that impact people, what even are we doing? I mean, I, I'm just crazy enough to believe that we should take seriously Amos when Amos talks about letting justice roll down. And those aren't suggestions. Those are prophetic words uh, to us from God. And so often you hear people who talk about, um, you know, politics or being divisive. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting thing. It, it reminds me of the people who are so comfortable with the status quo, right? The people who are not likely bearing in their bodies the consequences of all of these let's just not be developed. white people i mean it's not i mean i've seen as many black christians talk have this kind of talk about not being divisive and, and what they mean by that is to not make anybody uncomfortable to, to never call out anything in particular and, and it's this idea where we want for there to be uh negative peace right it's that concept that king talked about the negative peace versus uh the positive peace right like like you know negative mm-hmm. peace helps the oppressor Right. So I don't have anything. I don't give a damn about a, like a negative piece where you're just nobody's uncomfortable, but like positive piece. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I want that. But with positive piece, there is that very important element of justice where there has been a recompense where we have done our best to to make things right. And so, you know, I think sometimes we give uh, black evangelicals too much of a pass because I think black evangelicals are just as destructive when it comes to these sorts of things. I mean, if you look at the, I think if you were to look at the black men who Donald Trump are, is really picking up, you'll see a great correlation between them and black evangelicalism. It is, it is the same thing. It's the same, it's a different side of the same coin. It is all steeped in this very mis, like wrongheaded understand of faith of God, of the church and of our, our purpose. Like, there's this sense that the only thing that matters is, you know, you know, saving souls. And, you know, and that just, yep. It, it, yep. this concern with only what happens in the sweet by and by, almost making it, making it like God is not involved. I mean, you know, it's almost like they're, you know, they have a, a, per, a like a transcendental view of God, that God is just kind of pulled away, unconcerned, set everything in motion. And that's it. You know what I mean? Like, but that is priesthood. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly. Jesus said that's the justice. Now let's just make it through and we'll all go to heaven. Right. Yeah. If you get saved. Yeah. It's all sweet bye bye. I mean, it's like that. If you've ever seen the color purple, when Sophia and uh, Oprah Winfrey's car- character, they, they were in the cornfield. Seely was saying, you know, talking about because Mr. was beating on him. Right, Mister was beating on her, and she she said to her she wasn't worried about it because this life lasts for a little while, but heaven lasts always. Uh, and then um, Oprah Winfrey's character said, "Yeah, you better hit mass upside his head and worry about heaven later." Uh, she realized she realized that what happened today, <laughs> what was impacting you today, need to be dealt with, and not just 
put off. So many people worry about the sweet by and by when, no, the problem is right now, Mr. is beating you. He needs to be hit upside his head and we'll worry about heaven later. That's what happened. Like with these injustices we see, I'm like, I'm not worried about something in the future. I'm worried about the person who has their, their boot on our necks right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to lick the boot. I'm going to get your boot off my neck and tell you to stop putting your boot on other people's necks who I love and I know. So that was amazing. And we started with politics, got into religion and we're, I want to circle back around, but from that one, what we can already feel is your passion for justice, your passion for people. So tell us a little bit about yourself and about your trajectory of what got you into justice, what got you into your current ethic, uh, your current politic, your current belief system and structure, and sort of take us down that trajectory of how Ray McKinnon became the person that we're talking to today. That's a really good question. I mean, Tommy's Tommy's voice has you all like soothed right now. You're like, I'm ready to tell you my whole world. I'm, I mean, I might as well get ready to pay you to have this council. <laughs> He is a life coach. You all can go to Tommy Allgood coaching. Or Team Allgood. Right. Teamallgood.com. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's right. Teamallgood.com. <laughs> right. I think, yeah, man, I don't know. I, you know, I grew up um, in East Greensboro uh, in Dudley Heights. I went to Blueford, uh, Lincoln, and Dudley all in For those who don't know, we were located in Charlotte. Greensboro is about an hour and 10 minutes north of Charlotte. Yes, yeah, my yeah, apologies. Yeah. No, no worries, no yeah. worries. Like, so just wanting to paint the picture for him. Yeah, so it's it's not it's it's uh, not Charlotte, and I never thought I would move to Charlotte. Side note, because I loved Greensboro. Everybody was like, like Charlotte was the place to be, and I'm like, nah, I love Greensboro. We're we're fine being the third largest city in the state. <laughs> <laughs> but I grew up anyway. I grew up in East Greensboro, which is. If you're not, if you're from the Charlotte area, it's more it's more uh, similar to like West Charlotte. My mom and dad have been divo- like separated my entire life. They divorced when I was in high school, but we've you know I've always had a relationship with my mom and my dad, but they've never they just were never together. I spend mostly like the school year with my dad with my mom, and we spend the summers with my dad. Sometimes we be with dad during the year. My mom is bipolar, so sometimes she was in the hospital, and yeah. so we had to be with dad. I think all that stuff helped contribute to who I am. I was like the only the only person in my immediate family who was like a Christian. I used to be like a holy roller, every stereotype you can think of a 90s Christian, you know, um, I came of age in the 90s. And so uh, that was a really big in that time was, you know, uh, Joshua Harris's I Kiss Dayton Goodbye. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, man, that was me. No, I didn't listen to secular music, burnt secular music in a barrel. I mean, all of the all the stereotypes was me. I smashed my Spin Doctor CDs on the steps because I was like, that's not saying good things. The devil. It is not honoring. It is not edifying. <laughs> so, I mean, I was the, I'm the my, I'm the youngest. My twin brother and I are the my mom and dad have five kids together, and we we're the youngest. Um, and I, I was the only one in my family who was like really holy roller. Uh, type Southern uh, Missionary Baptist kid, uh, not Southern Baptist, Missionary Baptist. And so, yeah, not Southern Baptist, never been. I don't understand it. But I don't know, man. Like, I I grew up in church. I was a very conservative Black Christian man. I mean, all all the stuff. I remember in, in high school, well, it was the summer between my ninth, my eighth and ninth grade year, I uh, we went to 
Youth for Christ used to have this big old gathering, and it was called DCLA 97 is when this happened. And they had it every three years. So to DCLA 97, 2000, whatever. And so, like, I bought this. I spent my last bit of money to buy this this kit to teach me how to start a Christian club on campus. And I we started the Panthers for Christ. We were Dudley Panthers. And so we were Panthers for Christ. And, man, I was going to get the whole school saved. I was going to get the whole school saved. And, mm-hmm. like, part of who I am today is shaped by all of those experiences, like the 90s group. I had this one experience that, that still haunts me to this day. We, were, we had our little club. We had our little meeting, which was basically this, like, I don't know what it was, like Bible study. It was trash. I mean, we didn't think it was trash. Looking back on it, it was just straight up trash. Uh, like, I think we heard people, but there was this one guy who was like a very stereotypical black gay dude. And he was part of the group. I don't know that he ever was like, he ever said like, hey, y'all, I'm gay, which I, I doubt in the 90s he would have. Yeah. But I remember we were, we were in the in the club one time, the the Panthers for Christ, not not the club. Uh, <laughs> you weren't, you weren't, <laughs> you see me roll. <laughs> you ain't trying to catch a rotten dirty. <laughs> you're the Roger Rabbit. Uh, but, <laughs> but I remember I was like, I was being led by the spirit air quotes. And I remember, you know, I was praying for this guy and I said, God told me to tell you that you shouldn't be gay or something like that. I don't remember what. I mean, it was something that was trash. <laughs> and this is always what I think about. It's the, I, I remember the guy's name. His first name was Edward. And every time I look back on my experience in high school and that whole part, I think about that because I wouldn't have considered myself to be like this like evangelical guy who was homophobic or whatever. Uh, but I think I was. I mean, I went to a conservative Bible college. I don't think I was. I knew I was. Um, but ironically, what started me on this path toward justice, uh, beyond going to my church I went to growing up, um, uh, St. Paul Missionary Baptist, our theme was um, uh, Welcome to St. Paul Missionary Baptist Church, 3309 East Larkin Street, where everybody is somebody. And that was our motto. So, And our pastor was kind of a social justice. It's kind of what you think of when you think of black churches, like, uh, it was a big deal. But then I, I went to like more white churches um, in 10th grade, and that kind of started me on this evangelical path. But at this conservative Bible college, I had a professor who is conservative as hell. He still is. Uh, now I'm like, how did how were you such a big influence in my life? I'm, and you're so conservative now. Like you, you see these people you lionize on Facebook. I'm like, oh my God. Like, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I remember lionizing this professor. Um, but he was the first one I remember saying we like we can have any belief that we want to have as long as we can back it up with scripture. That's what he said to me. I think we can have any belief we want to have full stop now. And I started to see like the stuff that the church say they care about, like pro-life issues just i wasn't i wasn't really seeing it um and so i don't know i've said a lot i don't think i've answered questions so i don't it's just been a culmination of like life experiences and just getting to the point where i'm comfortable thinking independently comfortable not having to fit a a mold that was 
crafted a while ago for who I'm supposed to be. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. There's so that's that's so much there. And so I guess take us also from meeting your wife, because again, you, you labeled these as the two most important things. So we have to talk about these two things. So take us from meeting your wife and then also like your children and and sort of your family structure within that. So first, the first question, what did conservative mean? And then how did your family life as you built a family life influence all of that? Okay. Yeah, man, that's good. Like any good Christians, Kelly, that met at church, her church, she was doing a liturgical dance. <laughs> that one you over. <laughs> she was like dancing. I used to joke and say we met at the club or the bar or something like that. But uh, I would make not. love in the club, hey, in this club, hey. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we met at church, and for me, at the time, conservative meant conservative was like a very complementary and understand understanding of like the relational role. So when I say complementarian, it's like, you know, God made each of us to complement one another, but that's where you get the whole, you know, honor your wife, I mean, honor your husband type stuff. I don't know that if I, that I ever really practiced that. That's, that was always my understanding of what it looked like, as opposed to how we actually have always operated as more is egalitarian, where we're, we're, we're equal in every way, not just in sacred worth, which is what complementarians will say that we're equal in sacred worth before God, but we have different roles and all this stuff. Kelly and I have never really operated like that. It's always kind of been uh, what, where we are. But we we did have, I think we did have, you know, very much traditional mindsets when it comes to the role, like our roles as mm-hmm. husband and wife. And I think over these like 16 years we've been together, I've learned to just embrace that I'm not that guy. Like, I'm not the guy who's like, like I am, like literally in our family, if, if our kids want a hug or, you know, some type of compassion, they're coming to me. If they want something fixed, they're going to their mom. And I'm like, I'm okay with that. Like, I'm not like, you know, I don't know if it's because I've gotten older. I'm like, yeah, I really like, yo, bro, I don't feel any kind of way about that. I cry. I, I don't mind saying it. Like, I'm, I'm very... Like, em, like emotional, emotive. I feel so much. Like I feel with people, and I think being like being with Ke- Kelly and I have had to both embrace. It. And she, and on the other side, she's had to embrace. Like she's just not that like super cuddly. Like you know, you want your kid cuddling up with you type of mom. Like she's not who she is. It's like not her speed. And it's like yeah, that's fine. Like yeah, and I'm fine with it. Like I'm like yeah, my my twelve year old still. We, he still will cuddle up with me. I'm like, yes, all the cuddles. Kelly's like, it's God, get off of me. <laughs> I'm like, it won't be like this for long. Oh, <laughs> you know, all the feels, you know, like, you're not going to be like this forever. Everything, you know, and I'm the, the guy who's quoting beautiful boy limit lyrics to my now 20 year old son, like, Every, you know, I'm always like everything. I love you more than everything. It's like, oh my god, bro, I get it. So I don't know. I mean, and you know, our boys. We have four boys. Um, one, our oldest is 30. We have a 20 year old. We have a 16 year old. We have a 12 year old. All four of our boys are adopted uh, from uh, foster care, which is really cool. So, and we're also this. It's we have this weird blend of being like this, like transracial family, because 
like three of like our boys are biracial. Both Kelly, both Kelly and I are are black, but our boys they are biracial, so they're biological. Mom is white, biological dad is black, and so you we're, we're you know you you are figuring out all of this stuff um, through a lens of you know all the stuff that happened this summer. So I don't want my kids to think that. I, you know, one of my, my youngest son, like, could totally pass as white, but I don't want him thinking he out in these streets white because, you know, if he gets dark enough, you can tell. And so I'm just like, it, it's figuring out all of this, all this stuff. I feel like this conversation is meandering. No, it's not. This is what Permission to Be does. We meander. So okay, within that, I've heard, I've heard a lot within that. So I've heard that you start to talk about you've bumped up against challenging traditional roles of, of masculinity. Within that, I've heard you talk about wrestling with an affirming ethic. Within that, I've heard you begin to break down sorts uh, these misogynistic tendencies that we build into relationships and even uh, misogynoir, especially misogyny directed towards Black women. What was sort of the catalyst for you to begin tackling these big ideas and systems to transform who you are today to be because when I say that so let when when I say that when I look at Ray today Ray is a person who values anti-racism policies and practices he is a person that strives for for equality not just equality but equity <laughs> and inclusion as it relates to women, just hearing his story about his personal story of becoming an affirming individual. And so I know that sometimes these things happen sort of like a switch, but, and then also within that, you even mentioned mental health, right? With in, and so I can't help but see you in that, in the context of a black man in America. Right. <laughs> How is it navigating all of yeah, that. Yeah, man. You know, there was there was a time where I thought I was a unique like unicorn, right? I thought I was this and I think that's the way a lot of stuff works. You if if we can be convinced that we're so unique, it has a way of of isolating um and also kind of not pushing her pushing us uh to grow. Uh but I've realized like, you know, living in Charlotte I'm not that unique. Like there are, I mean, I've got plenty of black male friends who feel the same way, like who are processing this. And I think sometimes I could, there was times where, cause I, you know, I have a lot of friends who are not black too. And I could, you know, like the college I went to, for instance, was the exact opposite from my high school. My high school was like 98% black. This, you know, the college I went to was probably 99% white uh, and then 1% black of every BIPOC, right? Um, you know, sometimes you, you, when you get outside of your bubble, like, cause I can live in a bubble, like most of my friends, whether they're, whatever their race is, what we would probably share a similar ethos. Uh, we, we might not kind of go at things the same way, but you know, folks who are my friends, like I'm close with, not like acquaintances, but we're not, I'm not, you know, we're not doing the thing where we have to convince people that about the dignity and worth of all people. Like that's just not happening. But sometimes when I get outside that bubble, like when I, like even in, in the world of Facebook, like connecting with some of the friends I went to high school with and kind of still seeing this kind of way of thinking that from my perspective is less than honoring and less than the highest and best or even approaching the highest and best. You you see that, okay, maybe we're not, we still have a, a good good ways to go. 
to help us, especially black men, to see that, you know, who a person loves is who a person loves. And it isn't just, I mean, it, it isn't a choice, right? I think that was the first step for me is crossing that hurdle when it comes to uh, to sexuality um, that folks don't choose. And, you know, and it was like most things, it was a personal relationship for me. One of my closest friends came out, one of the people who I was closest to, uh, frankly, it's the person who uh, I thought I was going to marry. And that's a whole story. And I remember when, when she came out, she was she told me, uh, this is a person who loves God, all this stuff, rah, rah, rah. We, we kind of started Panthers for Christ together. I remember when she came out, well, not was she, was she just like, I'm embracing this? Because she used to say she struggled with it, air quote. When she was like, I'm embracing this, I remember, she, as she said, I have, a clear, I have a clear conscience about this. And I said to her, I said, this person's name, uh, Tanetta, I said, Tanetta, you, you either have a clear conscience or it has been seared by the devil. I said that to her. And probably like 2005 or six, right? So my my transformation has not been this like decades long place, right? Like Tanetta didn't like hang up the phone. She should have, right? And say, you know, F that guy, I ain't fucking mess with him no more. Like she didn't do any of that. She challenged me. She forced me to, to read <laughs> and not just accept things. She forced me to, to research. And I remember she gave me this one book and I started reading it and it started making me curious. I'm like, wait, I'm, I'm basing this understanding on six or seven verses of scripture, meaning of which are uh, not true to the real context. Am I really doing that? Wait, if I if I got this so wrong, what else did I get yeah. wrong? What else did I understand? What else did I not see the fuller, a, a more full understanding of reading of? And so kind of for me, what started pulling this thread was Tanetta challenging my my bigotry right that i don't know that i would have been able to name as bigotry and then giving me the tools to come to a, like arrive at places on my own so she didn't force the issue i wasn't like you know she didn't take abuse right i wasn't like saying you need to change i remember like she came to i remember she came to we were living in Orange County at the time, and she came and she um, invited us to go with her to. There's back then there was this network called the Gay Christian Network, <laughs> and they had a chapter I think in Orange County somewhere in Chapel Hill, and she invited us to go with them to a Bible study. And I remember that it was absolutely nothing like I thought it was. Be it was a boring as, just like you would ever think of, Bible study. <laughs> But there were like the only difference is the, the people who were leading the Bible study attending for the most part were gay people. And I was like, I know that sounds it sounds so ridiculous now saying it. Like, I don't know what I thought. Like the first time I went to Pride, it was like I was like, oh, you mean there's not debauchery and scattered ass everywhere? You know, exactly. Exactly. It, though. it depends That's what you on where you're looking. <laughs> Tommy's like, I can tell you. Well, when I went. I mean, <laughs> I love Jesus and. I love Jesus and. Come on. There's a sermon in there, brother. I love Jesus and. Amen. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, it was just experiencing. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess this is what it was. It was having experiences beyond the ones I've had. It was expanding my world, my understanding mm -hmm. of the world, what I have always what I'd always known. I mean, like, that's what kind of started it. And once you, you know, once your eyes have been awakened, you can no longer yeah. 
unsee what you're seeing, right? And there's a you know an understanding now for me that you know there's a when I when I hear the text that talks about how we all see through a glass dimly, like there's an understanding that I don't have all of the answers. I and I won't. And there is there's no need for me to pretend that I do because I'm not being judged on that, right? Like my, my even my understanding of of God has been so beautifully challenged and God who God was I think when I like in my evangelical days like now I understand God as like God is a God of grace and justice and these things these things matter hop back to you said that you realize that you're not a unicorn and that you realize that there are many others like you and so I just as a white person projecting my view on of men like everything you described to me is a unicorn still and so my perception of course of a black man is going to be my projection of what I see in white men So I'm curious, why is it not a unicorn to you? I'm thankful that I have a husband who's very similar in characteristics that you describe. But to me, that's a unicorn. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't see it as a unicorn. I'm not saying that by and large, uh, the majority of men are where Tommy and I are or where your husband and Mm -hmm. I are. But I'm saying in my orbit, Mm -hmm. right, uh, uh, of the people with whom I share the most space, my understandings are not they're normal this is mm. this is mm. the thing that would be abnormal would be the other mm. view that i once held right so i'm saying in the space where i spend my most the most of my time are folks are folks who are men mm-hmm. even you know uh whether they're uh, heterosexual or, or or homosexual or anything in between that or other than that like there is this understanding that I think is similar. I do think by and large, we still wrestle as a society mm-hmm. um, with obviously misogyny, with bigotry, with mm-hmm. homophobia. I mean, there's still men who the worst thing you can say to them is that they're, uh, they're gay or whatever. I don't know. I just, I don't know if it's being uh, getting older, being a dad or what, like I just, it's, you know, I, my, one of my kids was telling a story about how, Somebody said they were gay or whatever, and then their 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 response I thought was beautiful, and I hope it was like, yeah, okay, well, you say that like there's something wrong with being gay. Like, there's nothing wrong with being gay. Like that's that's the response I hope to. Mm. I hope people see like, all right, like that's not an insult. Like it's just like you saying, oh, you're a, a guy. It's like, all right, it's not. This is something that's immutable. Like mm-hmm. nobody can change it. So you, it's it's mm-hmm. dumb mm-hmm. to do. I'd love for us to be there. I don't know that we are there. So. I guess when I talk about I don't feel like a, a unicorn because the folks with whom I share the most space, it isn't abnormal, right? Like my closest friend. Yeah, yeah. For the most part. I probably, I will add to that. It, I think, you know, because I, I think I've heard Cedric allude to something similar. Cedric Lundy. Yeah, Cedric Lundy. We talk about, I think as Black men, we can talk a lot about finding our place in society 
And if we're not, you know, gangbanging or, you know, on the streets or using certain vernacular, it's hard to see where we we fit in. You know, and so I don't want to divorce that, though, from the systems of white supremacy that then compound upon people to say, like, this is how you have to act. Mm. You don't have permission to be uh, who you are. You don't have. Right. And so is it that, you know, Ray and Cedric are actually unicorns or myself are we actually unicorns or is this simply the product of what it means like what happens when you begin to break down the structures of white supremacy and patriarchy that are guiding and guarding your life so and and i think that we begin to have less people that appear as unicorns and we begin to step outside of those triggers and traumas where we look at all men or all white people as mm-hmm. as the enemy or as the the trigger as we begin to enmesh ourselves with people who are doing the work and i think that's why it's important to have a strong community that is invested in doing the work of anti-racism yeah. that is invested in being yeah. anti-sexist that is invested in this inclusion in this equality so that it's not a question of oh how do you how do you survive being the unicorn but like, what is it that you are divesting from and how are you divesting from that? And how are you mm. finding your power in that? I, I think, too, that it's important for us to recognize that we really are not that unique. I think our perceptions of black men are are colored more than even for us black men by what people project as is the case. The majority of I don't I just I can think of like not just my circle of friends, but my family. Right. Like I'm not the unicorn when it comes to being like a person who feels like there are other. I'm not like the the guy like I'm not the only guy in my family who cries. Like I'm not the only who hug, like that's how we are. Like that's say that. I say mean, that. The, yes. The thing. Like, you know, I'm not the only guy in my family who's a, a boss as dad, who's a great dad. Like that's the norm. And so I do believe that we have this this perception about what it means to be, to be a black man. Now, what we have to do is refuse to fit, to sit into those stereotypes. I, I've just not fit, fit stereotypes in general. Uh, but a lot of times it's stuff that I've, it, it hasn't been necessarily what was expected on me from other black men. It was what I thought other black men expected from me or what black women expected from me. But, you know, the older I've gotten, the thing I know is that I am, this is me. Like my, oh, I am me authentically, just like this. I, I use the same jokes. Uh, I have the same inability to dance. If I'm, no matter what space I'm in, like I, it hadn't always been the case. I used to. There was a time where I felt like I had to be one person in this setting and another person in this setting. But the thing I've learned is that when I am myself, you know, my dad always had. My dad has the best say. You know, my dad always says to be like that. We, you are the expert on you. Nobody else can be you. You can be, the, be be you who you are. So, like, if I like country music, I like country music, and it makes me n- no less black. If I like um, whatever, you know, whatever the stuff that I like, the, the music I like, the the, it, it, but it doesn't change that I'm a black man. That is immutable. I am, as I have always been, a black man, uh, and it's okay to not look like what somebody has to look how somebody has prescribed for you to look because 
if people can do anything, they can spot, spot inauthenticity. They can spot an imposter, a person, until we learn to be comfortable in our own skin, <clears throat> presenting ourselves, showing up as we are, we will never find out who we are and we'll never connect with people, right? Uh, the thing that, you know, I was, I was saying on this other podcast this week is, you know, with my friends, like no matter who they are, like you're going to just have to get comfortable with, you know, hearing me say, I love you or hearing me say this concerns me or hearing me, you know, my anxiety around, you know, you driving up to DC in the middle of the night because I'm scared something's going to happen. And I'm going to let you know. And that's been the beautiful thing, like with, with my friends, you know, with, but with my, whether they're men or what, but you know, it's seeing that because sometimes the first time you know you hear your, your boy say hey man i love you uh hey man i was thinking about you hey man dang i should miss you man i miss your face uh it can be jarring like okay it's weird if we don't act like it's weird it is what it is like yo i love you like i, I think about my buddy jazz who's one of my best friends called my bbf and you know this dude is we're so different i mean he is stoic hardly lets anybody in and i'm like yo man i love you what's up he's just like love you too bbs but the first time it was just kind of like what the heck is going this guy what's up with this guy this guy hitting on me uh you know it's like but you know you just kind of i don't know man like you just be who you are and then you give because it really does give people then permission to be, to be who they are like that's the yeah. thing that yeah. this authenticity does it gives people permission to come alive and to be mm. who they are and that is after all what the world needs is for people who have come alive. Oh, yeah. that was so awesome. good, man. So good. So good. I'll sip my wine Just, now. Good Lord. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to part one of our conversation with Rayshawn McKinnon. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. And make sure you follow us on social media so that you stay up to date with what we're doing. And it is my deepest hope, my most sincere hope that you are finding the authenticity and the permission to be fully and truly who you are, who you are becoming. Being is becoming. And we are glad to be on this journey with you. We'll see you soon.